Hi, and welcome to this edition of Humanity First. And uh, we're going to be talking about less about the humanity, but there's a great deal of humanity behind the finance. And um, the finance of this agency is complicated um, because we have we work with so many different payers, um, and that balance is all overseen by. Um, our chief financial officer, uh, David Simmons, who's going to be uh, one of our guests a little bit later on. But um, thought we'd sort of set that up, Chris, with a little bit of a conversation about budgeting in agencies like this and, and how, we, how we end up balancing the books. Yeah, to me, it's fascinating. And you have David, who is like this incredible numbers guy who, who is, has a depth and understanding and knowledge and then there's you as the CEO who has to kind of bring the humanity piece into it, and David on the financial side, um, and all of the other you know uh, executive vice presidents and vice presidents. It's fascinating because the numbers very often in any entity drive the decision making, but in a human services organization, you know the human piece is basically what is done here. So for you as a as a CEO, how do you how do you kind of marry those two things where you need to be fiscally solvent in order to continue the operation? Um, you need to obviously work with the state and other stakeholders on the funding side, but you also have to provide services in, in many circumstances in a um, that are required by law. Um, but you also want to make sure that you do it in a way that is putting the human element first. So how, what is that balance like for you? And how do you mix in what we should be doing, the optimal on the human side with the financial piece? Well, I, you know, actually, I think it's a bit of a high wire act. And, and you can go wrong on either side of the equation. You know, somebody once said to me about one of our competitors, I, you know, I wouldn't work for that organization. They're too corporate. And I said, well, what does that mean? So oh, they don't they care more about the money than they care about the services. And that's a disaster because people uh, in this line of business come into this business because they love the work. Uh, they love the contribution that they're making. Um, and if they feel that the organization is too removed from that, then people don't stay. Plus, they see the people who are affected on a day-in-day-out basis where they often feel there's a disconnect between you and the administrative building and right. the administrators and what they are seeing and, and feeling and that you're dealing in numbers. That's right. And that's a terrible thing to happen, that that gulf. And I think it has happened in the past. But, you know, the other side of it is equally disastrous because if you don't pay attention and you don't make sure that you have systems and controls that collect every penny that you earn um, and you fall behind, uh, you can't run um, a, a number of programs at a loss and hope to survive because, you know, we do as an organization have to balance our budget every year. Uh, and that makes perfect sense. So it really is. It's a balancing act. It's how do you make your manage your resources in a way that is the most efficient, that allows you to do some of those things that are not going to make you money. And, and believe me, there are, we do things at this organization 
um, that we pay for out of our own pocket because we know it's the right thing to do. You know, some of those programs, nobody else in our communities are doing it. And if we stop doing it, it would be disastrous for the for that particular group of people. So, you know, that's why so many people are involved in that decision-making process. It's not just David. It's not just me. It's the board of directors. It's our executive team. So, you know, everybody's opinion matters about that. Um, you know, in, in orientation, I always say to people, you know, we're, you're going to hear the best of Bamsey during your orientation. If you don't see that, in your everyday work, we're failing. And so that method of communication and getting information through the agency is really important for that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, if what you do is you say some of our programs make some money, some of them don't. What is a margin mm-hmm. that's okay for us to have? And, and that's, that's the real work in this. Where are the areas that derive revenue? As you mentioned, there are a lot of programs that are important for BAMSI to do and BAMSI will continue to do at a loss. So that means that you have to run up the score in other areas in order to take in those losses. So how do you go about doing that? Is it corporate sponsorships? Is it is it giving things that you that are that, that bring in a, a a large amount of money um, where there's not the uh, amount of money money put into it to derive that income? How do you where does a nonprofit uh, go about how does a nonprofit go about running up the score in profit in certain areas so they can offset the what they know are going to be losses? Well, we don't call it profit. We call it addition to margin. Okay. <laughs> Being a nonprofit. Um, but you're right. It is, you know, you have to select. And, and everything has to come within mission, right? So we couldn't sort of go on, uh, open a store and sell Gucci handbags. Well, I guess we could. But that's not within our mission to do that. But – identifying a business line, uh, like a pharmacy, for instance, would be something which would add to margin, which would get us to what we want to do strategically, which is everything goes into the wages and salaries of the people that do the work and the facilities that we have, so the people that we serve uh, are uh, in their best settings. So it is balancing, it is going after those opportunities, it's increasing your service line uh, on some of the more... um, Addition to margin programs, our residential programs are, uh, are an example of that, uh, some of them. Um, and perhaps reducing some of the uh, programs where we're losing money, um, which is difficult. But, you know, we then advocate. We go back to the state and we say, um, take our HIV uh, services, for instance. Who else is going to do that in our community? Who else is going to do uh, syringe uh, exchange services? That kind of question. And then the other piece, and you hit on it a little bit before, it's what's our fundraising arm? You know, what is the, what's the expectation from philanthropy? And a, a, and a healthy organization has a healthy giving because people who give are interested in what we do. So it's not just the giving of money. It's the, it's the message that we're sending out to the community, whether that be our corporate sponsors, whether that be, you know, people um, who give individually. But building that um, and sending that message that we can't do everything with the, with the funds that we get from the state, but your contribution gets us closer to providing the absolute best services that we can for individuals. And when you look at that fundraising piece, um, how do you go about building that out? Where a lot of times, you know, uh, whether you're, like, let's say, a college, 
Um, and you know, people will go to the college, they'll do well in their lives, and they're like, oh, okay, and let me give back X amount of money. Um, with the type of work that we do here, um, you know, very often those who we help are in the margins. So there's not going to be you know, that time where they're down the road 20 years and like, oh, let me give $50,000 to, to Bamsey or sign me up to give $1,000 a year. So how does, how does an organization like this go about um, finding people and selling them, if you will, on the significance of, of this work? And is it usually individuals? Is it usually corporate uh, d- donors? How does, how does fundraising get built out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all of those things, Chris. It starts with the people you do business with, and there's an expectation if you're going to do business with us as a for-profit, then you'll support us. And, and most of our um, corporate sponsors do that, uh, and they're very generous. Um, it's also about taking advantage of Giving Tuesdays, for instance, of this idea of putting yourself out there as an agency that has that pizzazz, if you like, that, that seems different um, from other organizations. And part of that really is the marketing of the of, of Bamsey. We don't really want to be the best kept secret in Massachusetts. We want people to know what we do. They want, we want people to know how well we do it with the resources that we have and how their dollars can enhance something that's already remarkable. Um, and telling that story, weaving that story through, um, you know, different media outlets, through um, through different ways of communicating, so that Bamsey becomes the gold standard for doing this work. You know, getting some of our people out there as experts in the community so that they're commenting on, uh, on these things. And suddenly people are going, oh, I've heard about that Bamsey. They're doing good stuff. You know, they're innovative. They're, they're, they're looking at the future. They're looking at population health and how health care is going to change over the next 20 years. Um, all of that really goes to raising um, the visibility of the name standing behind the services that we that we provide making sure we're doing it right with our quality and improvement department and so we become more of a name in our community and then individuals organizations foundations who are all really want to be part of the success story of Bamsey. so that is peter evers i am chris ryan i'm going to give it back to peter right now is going to introduce this week's guest and welcome back, everybody. Today, uh, our special guest is our CFO, David Simmons. David, hi. How are you doing? Really good. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, well, I thought it was I, – I always think it's uh, useful to talk about the money uh, and uh, following the money. And, um, you know, I remember way back when I was starting out in this, uh, a CFO at Boston Medical Center said, no money, no margin. And he used to sort of bang on the desk and – we live in a relatively complicated financial world, and you might I, – I, I see you disagreeing with me about that. that but it, to me anyway, um, because we have so many payers, because we have so many codes that we and, – and, and we do so many things, um, your job is to sort of corral all of that and make sure that we're collecting everything that is coming to, into the agency, make sure that we're paying people that we should be, but also predicting financially where we're going to be within the next year as we develop budgets. And I suppose it's true to say that this last year has probably been one of the most um, complicated and uncertain times financially for most organizations. You know, I was walking through Boston on Sunday morning and the number of uh, commercial 
businesses that have gone out of uh, that are, that are no longer there is just extraordinary, and that's the true, I think, price that we're paying long haul for COVID. Um, you know, our job is to make sure that this organization is attractive enough uh, to have people come and work for us. And we have lots of things we've talked about before. But it's also make, making sure that the, the ship floats. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about our American Recovery Plan <coughs> Act uh, money that is coming in um, and talk a little bit about what that means for the future for the organization uh, in terms of, you know, how we use that money um, and also how we sustain ourselves um, beyond that. So a lot of things, I think, on my agenda. Anything that you want to talk about, David? Um, yeah, I, I think a little bit, you know, beyond that is, is where, you know, going to like where this money leads us to long term and what it means to us from a planning stage in terms of what do we do if and when this type of um, funding runs out. Right. Are we going to be poised to continue? Yeah. Uh, and if so, how? And so on and so forth. So I think we definitely want to make sure we hit on that as well. Yeah. So let's just start by um, talking about the the numbers and what ARPA means, etc. So the the American uh, Recovery Plan Act is the, is the Biden legislation that is making money available to people. Um, throughout America um, to support to support them and sustain them uh, through the recovery from COVID, which I, I always worry about saying that because I think we're still in COVID and, you know, the new Omicron strain is proof of that. But talk a little bit about that, about how the state ended up allocating some of those resources that eventually end up in our bank. Um, well, in essence, what's, what's going to happen is that whatever the agreed-upon rates are for services being delivered is going to be enhanced by a 10% factor, but only for six months of, of volume. Um, and they're actually basing it, based on what I saw at the Commonwealth level, the regulation part, is they're basing it on our May of 2021 billings. Um, exactly which billings, I think, remains to be seen because in our industry, there's a surge of funds that come in in the last quarter all the time mm -hmm. for um, items like vacancy billings and things of that nature. So if they capture that at the same time, it's a significant amount of money and most definitely helps us um, put the put the piece put the piece back together with respect to what we're looking like operationally through the first six months and what the projection will take us out to be at the end of the year and so you know rough calculations were somewhere between three and five million dollars depending on which payer you're talking about and which manner which 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 manner they do it in um, and that, again, is only talking about funds that are available to us through and taking care of us from July of this year to December. It's still not talking really about January through next June and then beyond that. Um, if something similar to this nature of a program happens for the last half of this year, then I think that it, it bodes very, very well for us. And it rewards us for having been smart enough to take the step up front 
to recognize that our wage base had to be increased in order for us to remain competitive and pays us back for it and then allows us the opportunity, I think, to, to keep pushing forward um, into next fiscal year quite easily. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, a bit of a tightrope that we're walking, and um, I think people who've listened to this uh, podcast before know that we took a risk as an organization, but that risk really had to be taken given um, that we really did need to pay uh, a higher wage to those direct care staff and the nurses mm-hmm. and the folks in the residential programs. Um, it is still uncertain, but we have heard uh, from DDS, which is our funder, Department of Developmental Services, that that those um, numbers will be built into the rates from January through July. Now, that, that hasn't been mm. confirmed from the Commonwealth, but certainly the Commonwealth representatives have talked about that. Um, the big lump of money... <laughs> A lump of money. Lump. I, don't think, I don't think you have a <laughs> exactly. lump of money. The, the, the big uh, pile of money, there you go. Um, it really is in the adult uh, long-term residential. Uh, but we're also getting that money uh, in our uh, community day support services mm-hmm. um, and many other uh, EI. Uh, uh, we heard today another $2 million was coming that way. Um, talk a little bit about how we manage that because – we really we're one agency and we have to make sure that we're within the bounds of our ARPA funding and then we'll talk about advocacy in terms of where that cliff is because if that cliff moves to July now we've got some work we've even got work to do there on trying to get these rates to a sustainable level yes um so um it is a little interesting in that all of the other lines of service that we do, so let me back up a second. Each division of Medicaid within the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, they all seem to have their own opinions and interpretations of exactly what these funds are for and how they're supposed to be used and recognized. And in the end, they all do something similar with it. The, the, the first idea rolls out and everybody hops on the bandwagon. But Sometimes it takes a while for that to filter itself through in that what they call it might be something different, but the intent is still exactly the same. Um, Obviously, the intent all the time is to be able to allow us to continue to pay our people and keep them employed so that we're in a position to keep providing the services that we provide. And with each entity, you know, we have to recognize what this money is being calculated on and how it's being given to us. And how it's being given to us in the end really doesn't matter, I suppose, as long as we get it. But we have to be sure that we credit it to each responsible entity because it's a reflection of services they've done historically. And it's taking those rates and pushing it all forward. And so in the end, all that money needs to be corralled up and reported back to the Commonwealth at the end of the year in terms of, yes, we received these dollars that you put through because they're accountable back to the federal government for how it's going to come to pass. And we are, in fact, here we are recognizing it within this, re- within this program, and this was the results of the spending. Um, I honestly can't see how they're ever going to be able to truly come back and, and audit that effect, if you will. But it is intended to go to the places where it's being earned and recognized. And the idea is that there's enough of it everywhere to support everything that we're doing in the agency. Because... Right. Um, that's the intent, right. and that is exactly how we plan on going about right. recognizing right. and then 
some of it's paying us back, I guess, is the way to think about it, and some of it is definitely going forward. So. Yeah. And paying for the admin expenses as well, of course. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes... Because that's part of it all the time. That's part of the rate that they're calculating yeah. all the time. That's so. right, yeah. So it's good news. It creates a cliff. It, it needs advocacy, uh, and there has been a lot of advocacy done by our um, trade associations. And part of that is that we heard some really good news today about our, our DAHAB, day um, for instance, that, that there are, there are going to be short-term additions um, in the amount of around 29%, mm-hmm. um, uh, which, of course, is taking away the enhanced rates that, that we had before, um, and then a rate review at the end of the year, which is really what we want. Those big numbers are great, but if they're time-limited, that creates a cliff, right? Yes. So how do we as an organization make sure that we can catapult into the future continuing obviously to pay the commitment that we made to our workforce about the you know 15 to 20 percent pay increase for those folks how do we do that um, and that's uh, that's a question we're all wrestling with at the moment especially you <laughs> no also, I, I think it's about remaining vocal and remaining visual uh, in terms of what we're where we're trying to go and and not being we're not going to deal with these funds in a vacuum tube somewhere. We're going to deal with them in the light of day, trying to make sure that we're dispersing them all accordingly. And, you know, again, the cliff on the other end for me, that, that is the biggest piece, being able to at least know that the next round of rate negotiations, nobody's forgotten about that simply because we're in crisis mode back over here for the last well, two years, really, mm-hmm. pushing by the time we get there. And... Because if, if you do that, then you're stuck with the exact same reimbursement problems that we had prior to this that we've been lobbying for for the last 10 years. Um, and so you definitely want to be sure to try and take steps to secure that moving forward um, as best we possibly can. Yeah, and I think that's the commitment to our essential workers um, over the past year and a half. And it, the rallying, the clarion call, I guess, is that <laughs> they're still doing it. You know, they're mm-hmm. still stepping up to the table and inflation is, has, has um, become a problem uh, that we've been told is going away for a while and it's still here. Um, although I know that there's been some things to combat that with gas prices and, and, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, we still need to, we still have a duty to our uh, direct care uh, folks and our nursing folks and others to make sure that we do sustain that. And I think it really is, you know, if you think about it, that 10% is actually a 10% add-on of federal match. Um, so it is the, the, the state isn't actually paying for that. It's the federal government, um, which does – then the state's going to have that kind of problem in terms of reallocation. I think we – our press is, you know, you said that these people were essential then – now, you know, put your money behind that. How can they not be future. going forward if Ex- they were? If they, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, so, I mean, as you said, I was talking before about people giving it their own acronym and their own name. Workforce Initiative is, is one of the pushes that you're hearing from some of our programs and their funders, but you're not necessarily hearing that same term coming from, um, say, DDS, DDS. directly. Yeah. They're, they're talking about it in terms of ARPA, whereas when you go down into uh, the Department of Public Health, they're talking about it in terms of workforce initiative because they have been getting lobbied under that name and under that cause, and therefore they're directly allocating funds 
for that particular purpose. Right. Um, of course, then everybody interprets what does that, what do those words mean differently. Right. Um, but again, to me, in the end, it is it's based on the services we provided through a certain point in time or a snapshot of a given point in time, and increased factors are being applied to that, and they're coming out with what the dollars are supposed to be. Then it's the big question is how are they going to give it to us? Right. <laughs> are they really going to write one big check and send it in? Because if they have the funds, that's what they tend to do yeah. rather than try to hold on to them and figure out exactly how to bleed it out. Because as you're doing that, 5,000 questions will start coming in from every single person or every single entity receiving saying, how did you calculate this? We should have gotten X and we only got Y. And you, know, and you can't wait to be perfect. You have to take that leap of faith, put dollars forward, and it will reconcile itself in the end. That system already exists and has always existed yeah. in terms of yeah. reporting. So. Yeah, and I think you know the other thing is there's organizations like ours that took that risk are very interested in when that lump sum payment will be coming out. And you know, you can't let perfection be the enemy of good. And we we really need that's my line. You can't, you can't use that line. <laughs> but we we really do need to be in a position to to recognize some of those funds. And and you know, it's important that the board knows and has confidence in us around that. Mm-hmm. But you know, as we talk and over the last year, we've talked about really strategic planning and there's this sort of big overarching thing that says as an agency the money that we make goes back into our workforce the money that we make goes back into our facilities so that our folks Mm -hmm. are living in the best possible circumstances let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we can do to manage our expenses as we go forward Um, because i think that's a really important part of the puzzle we're not an agency that brings in a great deal of money above margin by nature of the business that we do. So being thoughtful about where the money goes and how it's spent is incredibly important. I think it it just centers around negotiating the best contracts that we can for any services that we're trying to buy on the open market. And it also comes right back to us in terms of how are we managing our own workforce and are we taking the time to make thoughtful decisions about when we're going to move into paying an overtime situation as opposed to trying to look for a per diem employee or before you make that choice to actually go to an outside agency and then spend those additional dollars on premium. Um, and so that's always been a very difficult thing for any our organization to do. It's been a significant challenge here at Bamsey's in the time that I have been here. And it is a, it's something that we have to overcome and we have to win at if we really want to secure our base and put ourselves in a position to go forward into the next fiscal year. Right. And we, um, need, we need to be on top of that, right? And that involves us being able to hire people, which mm-hmm. we're getting some leverage on, um, but not as quick as we'd like, um, but, you know, tipping in that direction is absolutely essential for us, as is, I think, overseeing and being responsible for the money that we spend in those buckets and nowhere else. Um, yes. You know, this isn't an agency that can throw, um, you know, a gala that costs, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. We're making some of those connections back right. to our workforce, um, and and hopefully that message is getting through. Um, I think it it has from conversations that I have had or information that people just share with you from time to time. And while everybody loves a good party, 
everybody also realizes that this might not be the best time for a, a, a celebration. This might be a time of saying, okay, we have an opportunity here to do something and help us move in the right direction. Let's try to stay that course and, and, and right. achieve. And the other thing that we're doing, I think, is looking at this hybrid model of how we utilize our space. I think the whole world has... Um, is adapting to that. Now, obviously, at, uh, at Bamsey, there is a significant number of people in the workforce who can't uh, work from home, but those who can uh, have been doing so. Uh, and the hybrid model really is the, the, the principal objective of that is, again, to look at our space and minimize the space that we need if people uh, are working from home. Um, do you see that making some significant savings in the long run? I, th- I think that it can if it is rolled out and managed properly. It is very difficult to do it um, well quickly because you really, it's about how much administrative effort you have operating in places and whether you own buildings or rent buildings and the timing of that all moves it. So hopefully we're going to be able to gain some economies of scale. Um, I, I always say that every, every initiative, whether it be a new venture or whether it be changing the way we're currently managing something, is to try and break ourselves and, and try to come out even in the investment on the, the first pass and the first cycle or two, and then look for it to begin to turn and generate revenue, if you will, by reduced expenses yeah. going forward. Right. I, don't, I don't think there's any such thing as that quick slam dunk where it's okay, this is going to work out really well and everything's going to be perfectly fine. Yeah. I mean, there's been a couple of wins, I think, you know, uh, and Lucas, was, uh, Lucas Cavallo was talking to us about how, you know, when, when our leases come up, um, are we are we moving those folks back into places that we own or into admin space? And we're mm-hmm. certainly doing that with one of the programs. And the other side of that uh, equation really is a revenue generation in terms of new programs and we are on the verge of looking at pharmacy. Uh, well, we are looking at pharmacy. And, um, you know, do you see development of new product lines as being part of that balancing act that we're going to be playing going into the future? Most definitely. But, again, to me it's the exact same thing because they're all services which we presently partake in mm-hmm. and we are buying from the open market. Yep. And. If we're really good at it and our management of that type of service and acquisition of it is strong, we can, in fact, turn that around in the opposite direction and, A, do it better for ourselves so that by reduction of cost, there's gain in revenue there. But then think about it from the other extreme and say, could we begin to build a division, if you will, that would begin to try to market said services to other entities who may not be managing it as right. well right. You know, and, and allow the expertise that we have in place – to then become the stepping stone for future revenue gains as you do it. Right. And there are so many of those services that are so good here. You know, I think about our learning and development department. I think about our facilities management. You know, I think there's lots of opportunities for us to be a little bit more entrepreneurial as an organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And I often say this, but um, somebody once said to me, if you're doing business with the state, you can whine. But you can't just whine. You can whine and you do something about okay. it. Uh, and that's how you, that's how you reach eternal happiness, David. Um, <laughs> eternal happiness, I love it. But it is absolutely uh, important, I think, that we look at those opportunities. Yeah, I just wanted to mention on the other side, we don't think we want to forget about the tail end of the CARES Act as well because that is still out there. Yeah. And exactly how 
the next phase of that is going to be rolled out and how it may be beneficial to organizations like us still remains to be seen. Yeah. It was a beneficial part of the equation last year. Yeah, totally. So I, I think it's reasonable to anticipate that there will be something more along those lines for 2022 and three. Yeah, and keeping our eye on that prize short term is really important. But again, as we started, it's really the long term. It's making sure that we that these gains that we've made are sort of written into the folklore of the future. How how do we position ourselves uh, to uh, to keep on? Um, and make this organization financially very secure. Yeah, but you, just can't, you hope that people aren't going to hear about or read about this publication and the numbers and take their foot off the pedal. Right. So oh, I can take it easy now. It's, it's, it's still here. Yeah. And, yeah. No, I think it is absolutely true that you have to be a warrior in this business and you have to, and you have to fight for everything you can get. And once I think you realize that, then it just becomes part of your culture and your... Uh, the way you move forward. So, David, thank you so much for coming in. It's been a pleasure, and maybe we can do this again in a few months and see where we are. Most definitely. It would be my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.